0: She's not and look at us go Watching the perfect, twilight is torn Man, weekend is gone Watching her love rose that went by that you don't know Anna
1: Kendrick, her, this is her time Away we go mm-hmm. Away we go Away we go mm-hmm. The Anna Kendrick show Listening to Kicking It With Kendrick with your hosts, Pierre and Jeff. Well, this is Jeff. Usually Pierre intros these. This is our third episode where we're still kicking it. Still with Kendrick. Pierre, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm
2: Pierre, and I'm another host on Kicking It With Kendrick.
1: Hell yeah. Crazy stuff. Speaking of other hosts on Kicking It With Kendrick, we have a guest today. We brought in Adele, who is a Twilight expert, because we're going to talk about Twilight today. Adele, why don't you introduce yourself?
3: Um, Hello, my name's Adele. Apparently I'm a Twilight expert. (laughs) Apparently being an expert amounts to having lived through the Twilight mania as a 15, 16 year old.
1: Obviously like we don't have someone who like wrote the books here or anything, but that is exactly the perspective we want is just someone else who lived through Twilight mania in I'm gonna say 2005, is that when it was?
3: The book was 2005, and then the movie was 2008, because right. I was okay. I was in eighth grade. So yeah, 2008.
1: Okay. And Pierre, uh, um, yeah, oh sorry, go ahead.
3: Oh no, you, you go ahead. You Canadians, you're so nice and polite, and just
1: you know, you could, please go on. I was gonna say, Pierre, what are you doing in two? What were you doing in 2008 uh, or 2005?
2: Not, I think I was watching Twilight spoofs <laughs>
1: so 2008 is when twilight came out and then vampires suck was like 2009 or 2010 they were really quick on the turnaround with those
2: and the movies were really bad oh
1: yeah i never saw it i don't know if it was the same people that did scary movie but it was like that same the same there studio. Were like two or three studios that were doing that at the time and like they must have had a turnaround of like 3 days or something. They looked like they were shot in 3 days. They were not good.
3: I mean, I I haven't seen Vampire Suck specifically, but I know I've seen like Epic Movie and some of the other ones of that ilk and basically their only joke is haha, this movie exists. So by that logic, you could do a pretty quick turnaround. Yeah. I mean, if you don't have to actually write jokes other than just
1: putting the character in. Mm -hmm. We don't have to write jokes here, but we do have to, like, talk about what was going on in those years. Like, do you remember what it was like at the height of Twilight Mania? Because, like, I was a little younger, I think, at the time.
3: Well, I think you're maybe a year or two younger than me. I was 13 when the book came out. Mm -hmm. And I remember going to Borders. And, I I mean, that dates the story right there. I went to Borders. (laughs) And they had a big display with the first book and it had a little thing underneath that says, you know, the second book's coming out soon. Right. And I had heard of it, but I wasn't really, you know, at that point it was still pretty new and I picked it up and I read it. It was fine. But I remember once the book started getting further along and then when the movie got announced, all of a sudden it was, you know, the uncool thing to do. Don't be seen reading Twilight.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: I don't know. Maybe it just I, I was always a contrarian, but I, th- I thought it was okay. You know, it was not going to win the, the Nobel Prize for literature or anything, but it, it was good. It was fine.
1: It's weird to me that you describe it was okay as a contrarian opinion on Twilight, because like...
3: Well, just because it, it feels like there's the, you know, it's horrible trash or it's mm-hmm. the best thing ever written. Those seem to be mm-hmm. the two extremes. It wasn't until more
1: recently that that became the general consensus that it's okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I had never read the books, and I still haven't. But um, at the time, like, not only was it super uncool, but like, the easiest joke you could make was just you know saying in some saying some variation of Twilight sucks, and people would always love that joke because it was true, right? Because mm-hmm. apparently we were just all a hive mind that didn't like Twilight.
3: I uh, when was the meme the uh, just insert name of book or TV show is a better love story than Twilight.
1: Oh yeah. I think that was, that was like right after the first movie came out and it was probably going strong until 2013. Oh, at least. Possibly longer.
3: Yeah. I mean, I feel like I still see people sometimes bring it up, but I think now it's more just out of nostalgia for back when we all hated it.
1: I don't know. (laughs) Nostalgia for old memes.
3: Exactly. It's weird to me now because around 2019-ish all of a sudden all these dead blogs that I used to follow on like Twitter and my Tumblr that I no longer go on they all started just posting about Twilight again and I don't know I guess that just the public consensus came around I guess it was about 10 years or so after the first movie so it seemed like a good time to look back I know that's when J.K. Rowling started uh saying things on twitter and people started turning on harry potter so maybe that has something to do with it
1: i don't know if harry potter ever had like a renaissance period but like it was it was really uh the, the harry potter fandom has pretty much been strong since it started and i guess probably it had you know i'm sure after the last movie it was more dormant than it had been for a few years but like it was pretty strong and then when people started leaving the harry potter fandom because we don't like jk rowling anymore not to be like before not to be like i hated her before it was cool but even when she was like just tweeting things like oh yeah this random fact in the book is actually something else
3: it's like yeah don't
1: don't go back and fix your books you wrote them if they're bad they're bad if they're good they're good i don't think stephanie meyer has done any of that i could be wrong
3: I think she goes on and does li- like maybe little tidbitty things like that, but nothing to the extent of you know, Dumbledore was secretly gay the whole time. Mm. Uh, it, more like little details, like when people ask, you know, what is this character doing now? Nothing that would retroactively ruin the series for you, right? Like, um, I, I I feel like I remember her saying something about the, all the human characters in Twilight, you know, where they are now that they graduated high school, but. I think I might be misremembering it with Harry Potter. Cause I know uh, J.K. Rowling's come out and said about, you know, what Draco's doing now, what Parker Pansy or whatever her name was, is doing now, what Cho Chang's doing now. Maybe Stephanie Meyer should get on that.
1: I, honestly, no. <laughs> I, I am i uh, I'm a big proponent of um, the death of the artist. And like, mm-hmm. I understand that like an artist still has the ability to go back and retroactively change things i guess but like at least in the case of jk rowling and i'm, I'm picking on jk rowling here but it would be the same as stephanie meyer went back and did all this stuff it's like jk rowling clearly has never done anything else successful in her life and so mm-hmm. she needs to constantly rely on harry potter like whatever her current book series is isn't that good and it's not selling well and it's mostly just her political opinions which no one likes
3: stephanie meyer did do the th- uh she she released in 2020. She finally released Midnight Sun. And so I did read it over several, several months. Um, I know some of the fan, the really hardcore fans talked about their little minutia that Stephanie Meyer went back and basically retcon. But it's, again, it's nothing that you would have picked, like a casual Twilight reader would have picked up on. It was mm-hmm. very much for the hardcore fans.
1: Well, and also, doesn't Midnight Sun talk a little more about Edward's past? Not in a way that invalidates any of Twilight, but, like, he's 100 years old, so it talks about, you know, 100 years ago.
3: A little bit. Mostly, it's, it just is contemporaneous with the Mm. first Twilight, and then he'll have a flashback to, oh, you know, back when Carlisle turned me into a vampire, back when I had my rebel phase where I went and was killing humans, but Mm. it's very much contained to like a couple pages of flashback. And then we go back to the story proper. Gotcha. So, I mean, that's probably the only real retconning that was going on.
1: Mm-hmm. I guess like that's the real state of Twilight. Cause it was like kind of a cult. Yes. I say that not in the means of like a religious cult, though, I guess kind of too. I don't know. It was, it was clearly a big thing for a while, but like most people that didn't already, like, I am I'm even going to go as far as to say most people probably most people's exposure to Twilight was like Twilight fans and the culture around it. Mm -hmm. But um, I mean, you've read the books and uh, I've watched the movie and Pierre and I've watched the movies. So like, I don't know. What do you guys think in general of the story? I mean, I guess you said it was, it's fine.
3: It's fine. (laughs) And I think that's partly why I unconsciously brought up Harry Potter. I remember so much of the critiques around Twilight were centered around harry potter is good you know role model for children bella is bad role model for children and that became so much of what the justification people had for twilight's occult and it's brainwashing the little girls into th- just living for what their boyfriend does and not thinking for themselves and i remember there was also all the Twy moms too and everybody was you know the moral panic about mothers reading young adult romance books and it's going to they're going to brainwash their children. Uh, it just it was very much in the Twilight is bad. And mm-hmm. it the only way we can say Twilight is bad without getting into the nitty-gritty of the literary issues, like the actual bad writing or bad grammar mm-hmm. is just saying it's bad representation of
1: girls. It's a bad role model. It will corrupt the youths. So do you think there's like anything to any of those criticisms at all?
3: I mean, there's not nothing to them, but it you could say that about any young adult romance novel, like mm-hmm. anyone, it's not exclusive to Twilight. I think that was my big thing at the time. Everybody made such a big deal about this book being so bad or so good. And I felt like it was on par with basically everything else I'd ever read, except mm-hmm. that it was about a vampire.
1: Yeah, when I was rewatching the movies, Bella's not a great role model, but she's also a teenager, like teenagers in general aren't going to be great role models. I exactly. think what, at least what the movies do really well, I maybe the books, I'm not sure, but at least what the movies do really well is they're super awkward, but like, they're awkward kind of in a believable way, which is hard to do on in a movie and make it universally liked. Like, Mm -hmm. I think Eighth Grade is probably the best-received, this-is-realistically-awkward movie I've ever seen. Twilight was realistically awkward, but I know that um, when people watched it, you know, a lot of people go in watching it, expecting to hate it, and that's where things came out. Like, Kristen Stewart is a wooden actress. Robert Pattinson isn't even that good. Mm -hmm. And, like, I think that Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson, despite being not teenagers anymore when when they were filming this did a really good job of playing super awkward teenagers that don't know what the hell they're doing.
3: Yeah, um, I, it's a little bit in the books. In the books, it comes off more like Edward is this suave, amazing, wonderful guy. And Bella's, you know, the clumsy, awkward one. And it really plays up into that. But it's also a first person POV book. So mm-hmm. Bella's, you know, all in her head saying, you know, how awkward I am, how clumsy I am. And then you get the the reverse in Midnight Sun where he feel, Edward feels a little more like he just basically kind of sat out the last 100 years. He was mm-hmm. present, but he wasn't really doing much with his life. Right. And so he feels like now that he actually wants to socially interact with somebody, now he feels like he doesn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there is the added layer of all his stress of, you know, trying not to kill Bella. But right. most of the awkwardness is just him feeling like he doesn't know how to connect to her and like every other Mm -hmm. second he'll say something and just be like oh no she hates me now but so I mean I I do think at least when the movie came out that was more Robert Pattinson and the screenwriters building on the book Mm -hmm. whereas Bella was more just kind of blank and generically awkward and generically clumsy I mean, people say it all the time. She was very much a blank slate so that any girl reading could be like, I, you know, I'm Bella. I could be in love with Edward.
1: Right. Which I guess kind of, that's, I mean, any, any person who was playing Bella was going to end up on the receiving end of criticism of like, you're a wooden actress. Your character isn't even a character. Mm -hmm. Uh, which kind of sucks because I'm sure as some people are apparently surprised to learn, Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart are amazing actors. I think both of them are, maybe not Robert Pattinson this year, but I know Kristen Stewart this year is like getting a lot of Oscar buzz for a movie that just came out or that's about to come out in Canada called Spencer. And Robert Pattinson is the new Batman, who I hear is really, really good in the role, you know, from very early footage that's screened sometimes. Well,
3: and I mean, all the stuff that Robert Pattinson's been doing since, like, um, mm-hmm. the Safety Brothers movie, the one that's uh, escaping me. Yes.
1: And, um, The Lighthouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember we talked about, that was one of our first episodes, as we talked about The Lighthouse, and he's, like, the best part of that. Well... It's hard to pick between him and Willem Dafoe, but they're both really good in that movie.
3: I'm, I'm team Willem Dafoe. I love him so much.
1: <laughs> I was shocked that Willem Dafoe didn't get an Oscar nomination for that. Because he won the Indie Spirit, too. That was the year that everyone who won an Indie Spirit did not get an award, an, an Oscar nomination.
3: I mean, the, the, the Oscars are just dumb. They, 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 they're cowards. they cowards. They won't reward the true, the true cinema.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. They keep picking...
3: And I mean, even some of the other stuff Kristen Stewart's done, like, I know she's gone a little more indie and -hmm. just been not as uh, high key as she was during Twilight, but even still, she's been trying to, you know, earn her medals and get her way back up to, you know, restoring her image, I guess you would say.
1: Yeah, I don't know that she's been in as many, like obvious awards mm-hmm. movies as Robert Pattinson but she's yes, been in that, like a lot of good stuff. I know she was in I think she was in Happiest Season last year which mm-hmm. I've only heard good things about but I haven't seen yet. Maybe I'll watch I, that for that, Christmas.
3: I watched that with my mother. It, it's a very good mom movie to watch. I mean it, it <laughs> um you know Happy Lesbians and it's Christmas Sunshine and Rainbows
1: that's nice. There aren't that many lesbian Christmas movies, which is probably like a huge blind spot in the film industry, honestly.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, but I even that that was probably one of the first times for a while that I heard people positively talking about her, you know, mm-hmm. and saying how great she was and how much they they thought her performance added to the movie instead of being a detriment. And you know, calling her wooden like they right. did during Twilight. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there was also the Clouds of Silmaria? Was that the name of the movie? I'm,
1: I don't know. I'm not familiar.
3: I I think it was at the Independent Spirit Awards, but I could be wrong about that. Th- but that was a pretty big one. And um ha- And Charlie's Angels. That nobody right. saw.
1: Yeah. I actually have to admit, like, I followed Robert Pattinson pretty closely, because like not after Twilight, but I think I saw him in It must have been like two or three years after The Last Twilight. I saw him in Cosmopolis and no one else has ever seen that movie. But I loved it so much and he was so good in it. And after that, I'm like, oh, yeah, I should just like seek out movies with Robert Pattinson, actually. But I haven't quite had that happen with Kristen Stewart for me yet.
3: Was that the one that he was playing Salvador Dali or was that a different one?
1: That's a different one. Uh, in Cosmopolis, he's playing a dude who has sex a lot in a car and that's the entire movie. And then his friend kills himself. So like, he has to go deal with that.
3: I was going to, I know, and he even talked about this in an interview somewhere, um, about how he's done so many movies where he's masturbated on camera. And, um, I know the lighthouse was one. Yep. And I think the the movie where he played Salvador Dali was another one.
1: And I'm going to guess that Cosmopolis was also another one. I know he has a lot of sex on camera. I think he may also masturbate on camera in that
3: movie. I mean, it it sounds like that kind of a movie. Yeah. (laughs) It's weird because I feel like I know a lot more about even some of the the supporting characters in Twilight. All of the the blogs that I was talking about, they follow those actors like Hawks and just any interview, any picture they do, they're all over it. I feel like I've heard about uh, Carlisle is going to be in some indie movie. And I feel like I've seen the trailer for it six million times. And he's oh, in the wow. movie, what, like, he's in the first movie, maybe 20 minutes.
1: Uh, Car- Car- Carlisle's a pretty big character in most of them. Well, I, the,
3: I guess that's true in the first one. But it just, it, it's weird because it's one of those really obsessive fandoms that, you know, mm-hmm. they know the name of the extra in New Moon, like the extra vampire in the corner at the Volturi's uh, hideout. And they'll know, like, the exact timestamp that Bella looks at the camera accidentally. Like, it's one of those kinds of, you know, just hardcore fandoms.
1: And at the risk of strawmanning an entire fandom here, I'm a little surprised that being in Twilight, even though it did arguably, like, kickstart Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson's careers, I'm a little surprised that they haven't been able to ride the coattails of that a lot more than they have. I mean, they haven't tried. So Mm -hmm. certainly that's something. But like Daniel Radcliffe has tried to distance himself from Harry Potter so much, but like without ever disowning Harry, as much as he can without ever disowning the role. And like people still know him as Harry Potter and he still gets roles because he was Harry Potter. I
3: saw Daniel Radcliffe on Broadway in How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. Mm -hmm. And there's a line in one of the songs I forget how exactly how it goes, but he says something about he calls himself a seeker of truth. And there's a pause in the music and the entire audience just lost their minds when he said that. And it's like they're they're all Harry Potter. All the people who were in line had their little Harry Potter clothes and they were trying to get him to sign stuff. There was a big sign at the stage that said, do not uh, bring him any Harry Potter stuff. He's not going to sign it. Only how to succeed, like playbills and Mm T-shirts and hats. And it's funny you mention about the disowning, because that's a big part of the narrative too. I remember in like 2013, 2014, basically any interview with Robert Pattinson, all he was doing was saying, you know, making fun of Twilight and how dumb it is, and he hated it. And like, I mean, the, the DVD commentary, I've never sat down and watched, listened to it, but apparently he's just bad mouthing it the whole time. And that, you know, everybody loved him for it.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah, I I remember all the positive press he somehow got for bad-mouthing his own movie, which is, I don't know. I mean, whether or not that's in good or bad taste isn't for me to say, but it's really strange.
3: Well, I mean, that that was the zeitgeist at the time. Everybody was saying Twilight was dumb, and I guess he's... I don't know if he genuinely felt that way, or it was a cynical move on the part of his agent saying, hey, you want to move on to bigger and better things? Tell everybody that you weren't into Twilight.
1: Yeah, I guess... Hard, hard to say. He's definitely on to bigger, better things, though. So whatever he was doing worked for him. Mm-hmm.
3: And I mean, thankfully by now Kristen Stewart's career has kind of righted itself a little bit. But it seemed like for a while she couldn't like nobody wanted to cast her. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I don't know how much of that was the stink of Twilight. I mean, I know she also had that controversy with um, Snow White and the Huntsman, with the where she was uh, cheating on Robert with the director and that was a big tabloid story too. Uh,
1: well, yeah, speaking of tabloids, I guess she's <laughs> ready for the role of Spencer then. But exactly. I mean, she can she can relate. We're already almost at break time here, but at the risk of putting you on the spot again, Pierre, I just wanted to say like do you want to uh wh- what did you think of Twilight when you were watching it?
2: I didn't like it. <laughs>
1: that's that's fair.
2: I think I think it's cool that <clears throat> adult points out a lot of like how it, it felt very counterculture at the time. Like, it, it wasn't like. It was like cool because it wasn't cool, almost. If that makes sense. Like, it was really awkward and kind of cringy, but that's what made it unique at the time. It kind of added a layer of genuinity to it, even though, like, compared to other stuff, even though, it, you know, it's a movie about falling in love with vampires. It felt, it did feel kind of real and very unique for it. I, I mean, still, watching it, it's extremely unique for its time, like, with the way they film it. Um, the yeah. type of dialogue and the acting, and how everything feels so like, like lame, but like not in a weird way. Right. It's like I can't exactly I can't think of another film series that really captures that same feeling.
1: And I also did want to say because um, I actually just rewatched the very last one yesterday, and I cannot think of another movie that feels more like an event than Twilight: Breaking Dawn Two, because like the. Um, I, I unironically really love the final credit sequence of that because I think that like from an actual you know if if I'm designing credits I would never design credits like that they're so corny and so bad however the credits are like they they feature every single actor who's ever been in the series with like a full montage of Every part of those actors, and they re-recorded a song from Breaking Dawn Part One with extra, with an extra voice, just so that they can like lay it over there. It is peak emotional manipulation, but it works so well. The only other movie I can think of that even tries to be that big of an event is maybe Avengers: Infinity War, and I don't think it pulls it off as well as Breaking Dawn Part Two.
3: Not, not even Endgame.
1: Did I say Infinity War? I meant to say Endgame. <laughs> yeah, Endgame. Cuz like Endgame just ends, but it ends in a way that is like th- the way that a movie might end. Breaking mm-hmm. Dawn ends in the way that like okay, this is the cast that's been doing the local melodrama for 17 years. We're going to bring everyone back and you're going to and you're going to remember every time these people made you cry.
3: Like um like the end of a big like long
1: series that's on the air for, you know, years and years and years. Yeah, I would imagine that people going to see Breaking Dawn Part 2 in theaters as it was coming out, they would probably talk about that event the same way my mom talks about catching the last episode of MASH. She says like she took off work, she had she didn't have a TV, so she like had to go find a place to watch it on TV. It was like she spent the entire day trying to see MASH and it and she remembers it to this day. And I'm sure <laughs> that people that were going to see Breaking Dawn Part 2 Have similar stories because that movie is like it's laid out specifically to evoke those emotions, and I think I have never seen another movie that does it better. It doesn't necessarily mean that that's good. I think that all of the things it has to do to do that are actually to its detriment as a movie, but as an event, it works so well.
3: No, that, that that sounds about right. I I don't know. I didn't see Breaking Dawn Part Two in theaters. I was lame. I saw Breaking Dawn Part 1 in theaters with friends. And I thought we were going to, you know, jokey joke, make fun of it the whole time. And we got maybe five minutes in and they kept shushing me. So I sat there in silence the rest of the time. And then I was so bummed out by my experience seeing Breaking Dawn Part 1 that I didn't go to see the second one in theaters. And it sounds like it was a great time, especially um, that big climactic ba- battle at the end I kept
1: mm-hmm. hearing reports about how just the theaters were going wild well because that's something that doesn't happen in the books in my uh as, as I've heard and so it's it was a huge uh it just came out of nowhere for people that were watching the movies and like mm-hmm. everyone was surprised apparently yeah. and like you know, there were, there were opinions ranging from this should have been how it ended to that was the craziest fake out ever to whatever, but like theaters were going nuts for that. Yeah.
3: Are are we getting into spoilers or should I just not
1: say? Well, I mean, we're basically, we're basically at the end of the first half of this episode. So I guess, I mean, eventually in in the next half, it's going to be all spoilers. So if you've made it this far and you don't want spoilers for Twilight, Uh, This is where you should bow out. This is a final spoiler warning for Twilight.
3: Well, I just was going to talk about um, what you were saying, the part that's not in the book, the big battle that does not happen. In the book, it's literally just presented straightforward. Alice goes over and talks to Arrow and uh, shows him something. And then they introduce the half-human, half-immortal characters from Brazil or wherever they were from, and mm-hmm. says, look, these are characters like Renesme. they're not a threat to vampires, there's no battle, everybody just leaves. And mm-hmm. then in the movie, instead they have that fake-out where all of a sudden everybody's fighting and people's heads are getting ripped off and, like, Carlisle's dead, Esme's dead, um, I think Emmett dies, Jasper dies... Like half of the main cast dies.
1: They almost kill Edward. They don't, but they get really close to doing it.
3: It's all super climactic. And Edward and Bella kill Michael Sheen together. I I don't remember his name. Um,
1: Yes. You literally just said it.
3: I did say it. But for some reason, I thought he was one of the other ones. I I mix all of them up. There's Aro and there's... I don't remember any of the other names. the, the, The guy... I only remember the one other guy who was in Sweeney Todd. And that's how I remember him. The blonde one. With, uh, with oh, the long hair,
1: okay. Um, oh, he was like the main little boy in in Sweeney, in Sweeney Todd. Todd right? He was Anthony, yeah. Right. Okay.
3: Um, and those are basically, I think, the only two movies he ever did. This and Sweeney Todd. Anyway, Edward and Bella, they kill Michael Sheen, and there's like a zoom in on his face, and then all of a sudden, you know, cut to uh, cut back to Alice, and it turns out it was all a dream, and it, it was just you know purely she was showing uh, Alice was showing Arrow what the future could be we're going to avoid that. That's not what we're going to do. And then they go back to what the book was. So, it and I re- I remember hearing at the time people talking about how they, fi- they actually felt like kind of invested in what was going on. Like, oh my God, there's actual stakes. People are dying. And then it was just a cop out.
1: Which I'm going to be honest, I didn't even mind that it was just a cop out because they set up both of these characters with what they can do. And it mm-hmm. is a dream sequence in a movie is usually a cop out anyway. But- they like spent five movies setting up the perfect two characters to initiate a dream sequence and then used that at the end. Like, actually, I feel like that's a really good payoff for those characters. It, it's a dream sequence. So I understand why people don't like it. But I thought it worked really well. And I thought it was a very good. uh It was an interesting adaptation of that material.
3: You got to pad out that runtime somehow. You, you, you agreed to split it into two movies. You got to
1: add something. Yeah, it definitely didn't need to be two movies, but yeah, I mean, it, it did didn't manage to be two movies.
3: It. I don't think it needed to be. Even if you didn't split Breaking Dawn into two movies, I don't think it even needed to be four movies. You probably, well, I guess I shouldn't say probably. You might have been able to mush maybe New Moon and Eclipse together.
1: Possibly, yeah, probably. I
3: mean, it, you definitely would have had to rework it, but I don't think it needed. To I,
1: be- Okay, this is going to be the last thing I say before before the break. I did really like in the second one, which is New Moon. New Moon focuses almost entirely on the werewolves and it mm-hmm. spends it kind of structures the werewolf story in a way similar to a movie that I really like, which will bother Pierre that I'm bringing it up. Uh, Star Wars Episode 8, The Last Jedi. <laughs> It it structures the story of the werewolves in a way where it's like they're they're telling this old story and as a framing device and they keep having to go back to it to add to that story. And Edward is basically not in this movie at all because it's just entirely focused on this other clan of werewolves, which is going to become important eventually. So they need to build them up and they take a whole movie to do it, which is a good decision. Even if the movie is, well, I think New Moon is, New Moon is my second favorite of all of them. But, um, you know, all of the movies could certainly be better.
3: I don't know if I'd say it's my second favorite. It would probably, I i, I don't know. I didn't like Jacob enough to really care about the movie mostly being hinging on him. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, it's weird because I feel like the fans really like New Moon, but they specifically like the beginning and the end, the parts that, twi- uh, that Edward is in. And the rest of them uh, who like the middle sections are firmly Team Jacob. But on the, on the whole, I usually see people talking about that ending part when she's in Italy. And otherwise, that,
1: that's the only important part of the movie, according to the fans. I actually used to have basically that same opinion as well. Because I think the beginning of the movie and the end of the movie are also the most interesting visually. The beginning mm-hmm. has some really good directing. The ending has some fine directing. But like the visuals of that nice little city in Italy are much more interesting than Forks, Washington. So Mm -hmm. it's because those are the parts that Edward is in, and those are the parts that were clearly more important, yes, to the fans, but probably to the filmmakers too. But like, those are also probably two of the better shot parts of the movie, regardless.
3: Don't lie, Jeff. You're, You're just, you're team Edward.
1: Oh, I definitely am. I don't like Jacob at all. No. I like New Moon despite Jacob. Exactly.
2: Not only like Jacob either, no. Can
1: I can I ask before we go to break? I I promise that's the last time I say before we go to break. Uh, Take yeah, a shot. What's your, what's your favorite Twilight movie of them? If you had to pick a favorite, because you do, you do have to pick a favorite.
2: Oh, man, probably the first one because of the baseball scene. I think it's hilarious. Yeah. The
1: the first one is the best one. That's my favorite.
2: Yeah. One.
1: Oh well, yeah.
3: It was the best written. It was the one that. She wrote entirely on... Uh, Stephanie Meyer wrote in isolation, and then all of a sudden the, the thing got popular and we're going to keep going with it. Yeah. And also,
1: uh, Catherine Hardwick, is that her name? Yes. She's a very good director, and it's sh- the worst decision they could have made was to fire her after that movie.
3: Hey, I mean, you know, she wasn't being true to the vision. And isn't that how it always goes? That's how Twilight goes. That's how Fifty Shades went, you know?
1: I I guess. <laughs> Well, all right, let's hear a word from our sponsor and we'll be back in just
0: a moment. Hi, this is Dakota, host of ContraZoom Pod, where we go back and forth about film. I am obsessed with movies. I could talk about them all day. If you're like me, then you'll love my podcast. Every week, we take a new topic, whether it's ranking a director's filmography, covering major film festivals, or getting way into Oscar season. While every week is different, we do have some recurring topics, like our Make Remake series looking at an original film and its remake, or our very popular A History of program taking an in-depth look looking at some of the biggest companies involved in film including Criterion, A24, and Neon. It isn't all super serious topics though, as we always need to play catch up with all the hottest Marvel Cinematic Universe news and general pop culture goings on. There's something for every kind of movie lover, whether you want reviews, interviews, or in-depth conversations. ContraZoom Pod is found on all Podcatcher apps and visit ContrazoomPod.com for even more information. back what i wanted
1: to say is we talked a lot about twilight and actually quite a bit about robert pattinson and kristen stewart but we didn't talk about maybe the most important thing of twilight this is actually the reason i watched twilight the first time and obviously the reason i watched it the second time uh anna kendrick is in this movie and she's in this movie as the best friend jessica she just comes out of nowhere like i I don't remember if I even knew she was in the movie the first time, because a friend of mine had wanted to watch it, but then as soon as I as soon as she just popped up on screen, I was invested for the rest of the series. And much to my dismay, she's not actually in that much of the series, but she's there. She's important. She is.
3: Well and it's uh, it's weird watching it this time now, I can't believe I never picked up on it before. Obviously, I mean even in the book, her human friends were obviously supposed to be a parallel to the Cullens. Mm-hmm. Um, but they actually took some of the characters and mushed them together so that there are five humans and five Collins. Oh, and wow. presumably Anna would be the Alice equivalent, I guess. I don't I mean, yes. I guess that's a
1: debatable. Maybe she's Rosalie. She seems too nice to be Rosalie. Well, no, she does make sense as a as an Alice equivalent because Jessica is so both of them are like very strong willed, and both of them are in a bit of a weird way sort of the moral compass of that group of friends mm-hmm. uh, like i don't know calling jessica a moral compass is kind of a weird thing but she has one uh, my favorite scene from her is in the second movie where um bella uh really wants to kill herself and mm-hmm. jessica's like actually don't do that i get the impression that like of all of the cullens Alice is the one who cares the most about Bella's safety and of mm-hmm. all of the human friends. Jessica is basically the only one who cares about Bella's safety because she ends up being kind of the only one who's a character by the end. Mm-hmm. I know that there are there are the five human friends, but they do they don't come up a lot actually.
3: Well, the three boys in the movie that, um, after maybe 20 minutes, two of them kind of stop paying attention to Bella Mm -hmm. and then it just comes down to Mike. But in the books, the three boys are just madly in love with Bella the entire time and just think she walks on air. And that's basically their entire arc for the first one. And then I know new moon, Mike is still pursuing her. Mm -hmm. So it, I mean, obviously that's not a parallel to the Cullens. And it's funny uh, because the reason I did remember that they mushed some of the girl characters into Anna Kendrick's is because in the book, Jessica's kind of a bitch. She's way more transparently jealous of Bella and Mm -hmm. all the attention she's getting. You get it a little bit in the movie. Um, There's the one scene when she's introducing each of the Cullens and she says something about like, Oh, Edward, you know, he's single. Nobody's good enough for him. Mm -hmm. And she, she gets kind of like, bitter sounding that's probably the most you know jealous she sounds in the whole movie Mm
1: -hmm.
3: in the book it's way more you know apparent that she's mad that mike and tyler and the third one and edward all every single boy in the school is just obsessed with bella and she's very you know very you know puts on a nice face and pretends to be super nice and sweet and then you know goes and bad mouth
1: bella behind her back Right. Yeah. Actually, I think what would be kind of interesting is I know in the movies, Jessica has a little bit of a character arc. Very little because she's not much of a character in the movies at all. But in the beginning... Like in the first movie, I mean, she's nicer than what you described, but like that's that's kind of her character is what you just described. But then by the second movie, she I I don't know how much she actually likes Bella. They don't hang out very much, but she does actually care a little bit about her. And then by the end, Bella clearly considers her a friend because she invites her to her wedding. So like Mm -hmm. there's just the skeleton of a character arc there. And like, is that is that similar in the books as well with Jessica?
3: From my memory, yeah. I can't remember if she was valedictorian or if that was a different character. Mm. But I would assume she was just because she's basically the only girl character that matters. A uh, right. human girl character. Right. And I do remember they were at the wedding, but I don't think they had a moment together. I think they just uh, Bella just mentions that she was there. Right. But no, Anna Kendrick, people knew who she was by then. They had to give her, you know, a jokey joke about, you know, Bella being knocked
1: up. Right. In Anna Kendrick's memoir, she talks about these. she talks about Twilight being a really fun time for her to film because she got to have basically all of the I mean, she wasn't paid as much as Robert Pattinson or Kristen Stewart. But she essentially got all of the benefits with only three weeks of filming. And she didn't have to be as recognizable as either of the others, because very few people would like walk up to her and recognize her for Twilight. And at the the same time that paid her rent because she was in a bunch of other projects that basically didn't pay anything. Exactly. Yeah.
3: It's weird because I think, I guess um, Up in the Air was like 2009. So that would have been around New Moon-ish. Yeah. Eclipse-ish. And so I do think that they made sure that they kind of shoehorned her into a little bit more at the expense of the other human characters because she's a hot new star. Right.
1: Right yeah, she's uh we just talked about this a little bit during rocket science last year last episode. This is a case where while they were filming these episodes, these movies, she suddenly got big, kind of like Jonah Hill in rocket science. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know, I haven't seen rocket science. I'm bad. Oh well, I, in the, the the context for that is just in rocket science, um, the director for that movie tries to work with basically unknown p- talent. Mm -hmm. And he was a little disappointed when his movie came out because when they had cast the movie, they had all of these people that were basically unknown, including Jonah Hill, who basically has a cameo, but no one knew who he was. Mm -hmm. Between the time that his movie finished filming and it came out, uh, Jonah Hill was in Superbad and the 40-year-old virgin. So Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, people knew who Jonah Hill was. And he was like, well, that's, that's a shame. We have a star now.
3: On one hand, you cast a talented actor. On the other hand you know, then you run the risk of them potentially blowing up and ruining yeah. your your aspirations for having unknowns. You
1: just got to edit quicker.
3: I Yeah. The moral of the story is edit quicker.
1: Pierre, did you even notice Anna Kendrick was in this movie? She was in like so little of it.
2: Uh, I guess I really like Anna Kendrick embodies this, uh, the role of just normal person really well. I don't know how to mm. say it. She's very like, just, she seems very down to earth. And, like, obviously she's, like, jealous and stuff. But, like, I, th- I wish they kind of played into that more, actually, with the whole Bella choosing between humans and, like, uh, vampires or whatever. Because I, I think once New Moon comes around and then there's that whole, like, choose between werewolves and vampires, it, it kind of loses that human touch, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And you never felt like Bella was going to be, like, oh, I want to be a werewolf or with the werewolves, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of the tension was lost, especially once... Uh, characters like Anna Kendrick's like stop being around as much.
3: Mm-hmm. Like she wasn't even in
2: the last movie, right? Especially no, now? not at all. Yeah. Well, she was in
3: the end. In the in, in the, the end, end, end credit credits. Yeah. Oh
2: there you go. But, yeah.
3: The best part of the movie. Of yeah. course.
2: <laughs> but yeah, like I, I think she 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 was really good, I guess, with what she was given. Just I think not even just like her because she wasn't really a charismatic character. It was just Anna Kendrick, the way she is as a person, I guess made it more relatable. But yeah, as as she's phased out it is kind of disappointing.
1: I mean, again, as she says in her memoir, she says like she her character just got to sit around and comment on how weird everybody was acting, which I mean, because she didn't overdo it, I guess, did sort of make her a really good audience surrogate. Because, as you said, Bella having to choose between two supernatural entities is like, is is pretty weird. So relatable. It does miss that human touch a lot. And Anna Kendrick brings in that human touch. In a way, I almost wish that Mike got a little more to do. I think Mike's role in in these movies is basically perfect for what it has to be. Because, uh, I mean, I feel so bad for him in New Moon because he gets dropped by Bella like a hot rock, which makes sense. I mean, he's not... She was never into him, and, like, he was just pursuing her for basically no reason, I guess. But, like, he was going to get broken up with or, like, rejected. That's going to happen. But it's a shame he wasn't more of a character, because it would have been interesting for Bella to have to choose between, you know, supernatural or human. And I'd say I wish Mike was more of a character, because, of course, Stephanie Meyer was never going to make... She was never going to make Jessica one of the options. But
3: I mean, there, there's Edward and there's Jacob, and then there's the third party, Mike. Mm-hmm. Third of party, course. you know, the girls all, you know, they can only have room in their mind for two. Yeah, I guess. Of course, yeah.
2: I think Jessica's confusion of, like, how everyone's attracted to Bella, too, is, like, really funny. It's, like, unintentionally mm-hmm. funny, I think. It's, like, she's the only normal character in a movie where everyone's mm-hmm. supposed to like Bella or something like that. She's just like, what, what is going on? Like, what does Bella have that everyone else doesn't?
1: it's kind of interesting too uh and this is now something i can only say because we've watched other early anna kendrick movies she was originally apparently she was originally like not hesitant to take the role in camp but she was a little uh worried about her role in camp because in camp she plays the weird girl that is the best character (laughs) yeah she plays the best character by far but her character is like the weird girl who pines after the popular girl and she at that time in her life wanted to play the popular girl not necessarily in that movie but like that's the role she wanted to play because like she was also in high school or like just out of high school so she wanted to go home to her friends and be like hey not only am i in real life a cool popular person i'm a cool popular person in movies too and this is where she gets to play that role except that Apparently, when Anna Kendrick is in movies with a popular girl, the popular girl doesn't have anything to do. I mean, it didn't quite work out in her favor, but this is a role that I remember her saying she really wanted to always have, or, you know, a type of role. By default, Jessica is the most
3: popular girl in the school. I mean, when Bella comes to the school, there's all the buzz of, you know, she's the hot new girl that everybody Mm -hmm. likes. But once she gets paired off with Edward by the end of Twilight, you get the sense that a lot of people just kind of let it go and you know, she, she's off doing her own thing and then Mm -hmm. everybody else goes back to doing their own thing.
1: That was like a transfer student for a year. She's around (laughs) afterwards, but like no one really ever sees her, at least in the context of the movie, I guess she's in school and this movie only, only in the first twilight do we ever see anyone in school in this movie, in these movies. Mm -hmm.
3: I remember there being more school scenes in the book, obviously, but Again, I feel like they were mostly pretty much, in the first one, they were, you know, building up to Edward being revealed. And then when he disappears for a couple days, you know, pat it out, make you feel the time that he's gone. Mm -hmm. And I feel like in New Moon, they basically just mention, you know, oh, she's depressed at school once Edward, uh, you know, leaves. And And that's basically the only real reason they're there is to establish that you know she's not doing good Uh, Bella is not doing good
1: well when you've got a when you've got a story that's like a love triangle where everyone's in school but one person goes to a different school and by the second book the other person has left the country then Mm -hmm. like why do you even need to show school anymore at that point?
3: exactly because then there's third party Mike
1: he's at school but they only show him enough to get him brutally rejected
3: exactly exactly I do think, in the from my memory, in the book New Moon, Mike is a little more of a dick. And mm-hmm. so Jacob comes off a little more sympathetic, kind of being the white knight and, you know, the lady said no and, you know, yeah. casting him off.
1: Yeah, in, in New Moon, Jacob definitely comes off a lot more. He inherited all of Mike's dickishness from the books, I'm guessing, because he's kind of a huge asshole in the first movie that he's really in. And in the subsequent ones, but New Moon especially. Mm
3: -hmm. Anyway, weren't we talking about Anna Kendrick?
1: No, we were talking about Anna Kendrick, you know. uh, It's just so easy to talk about other things in in these movies. That's the uh, hardest part of, especially, well, of doing a lot of these episodes, but especially of this series, or of talking about Twilight, is she's really not in this very much. Can you think of any, I mean, I can think of some, but I just want to pass it off to you guys. Can you think of any, like, really notable Anna Kendrick scenes in these?
3: Twilight is the one she has the most in. New Moon is the one, her main scene is where she is trying to cheer Bella up and they go to Port Angeles, I believe, to go like dress shopping or go to a bookstore or something. Yeah. And then Bella sees the bikers and gets the bad idea, you know, I'm going to go do that. And Anna Kendrick's in the background the whole time going, you know. Actually
1: don't.
3: Please don't do that. Uh, and I did really appreciate that scene as somebody who has done that with my freshman college roommate, you know, you see your bad doing, your friend doing the the bad thing and you don't really, you're not that close to them. So you're like, I'm not, you know, I don't want something bad to happen on my watch, but I also am not close enough to you to stick around and, you know, help you through it. Just, you know, come back here.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Not, not close enough to like get physically involved and pull them back. But Mm -hmm. close enough to be like, well, I don't, I don't want this on my conscience.
3: Exactly. Um, And then Eclipse is, uh, she gives the valedictorian speech. Valedictorian speech. I mean, for the human character, it's the rah, rah, rah. We're going to go out and conquer the world. And for Bella, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, the end of her time as a human. All of the roads forward, the metaphorical roads forward are, you know, in her mind as a vampire. Mm Mm-hmm. I get, oh, and then um, in the fourth one at the wedding, she makes the joke about, you know, Bella's knocked up. And yeah. that's why they're getting married.
1: And I think that's all of her scenes, actually. Yeah. I think you just described every single one of them.
3: I I mean, she has um, more to do in Twilight, but that's functionally... In the other three movies, that's definitely it.
1: The I, I would of say her. functionally, she ends up doing more impactful things in all of the other movies but she's just around more in twilight exactly yeah
3: well to be fair since we don't also have the werewolves taking up screen time taking up as much screen time in twilight one you know that gives her more time to do things
1: right yeah i know a lot of people uh point to her valedictorian speech as like their favorite moment with anna kendrick in these no. movies but like it's, it's fine it's I fine i don't i I thought that I definitely think the best moment is, you know, where she tries to stop her friend from going to hang out with bikers who, uh, what's the quote? They have, they've got bikes and they got beers. Yeah. You know, that's never a good sign. So to me, that is her best scene. But like, she's not giving a speech. I guess people like the speech. It's, it's a cringy valedictorian speech. Has there Mm -hmm. ever been a good valedictorian speech? Maybe twice.
3: Not, Not in a movie.
1: Definitely not in a movie.
3: It reminds me a little bit of um, Emma Stone's speech in uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2 when she's valedictorian.
1: Yeah.
3: Because it's not really about her. It's about Peter Parker.
0: hmm
3: I mean, because I think they, they have the montage of him trying to get there and, you know, she's talking about balancing, you know, moving on with their lives and he's dealing with all the Spider-Man issues. Mm-hmm. So it just,
1: the valedictorian speeches are never actually about the characters giving them. Right. I think that's the same in this one. But like, I don't even remember what she said. It was so forgettable.
3: (laughs) It it was all very generic. And, you know, we're going to go conquer the world and we all have our lives ahead of us.
1: Yeah, and we all have a cute vampire boyfriend. I don't think she said that part, but like that's in there.
3: I mean, she should have, but I, I guess it was implied.
1: If they wanted to make a really good Twilight parody, like not a vampires suck type parody, but like, Mm -hmm. I feel like one of the cool things they could do is make a valedictorian speech that's extremely on the nose. Mm -hmm. If I ever write a comedy movie, which will not be very good, it'll have that. I have written down here for for everyone, what do you think was Anna Kendrick's best Twilight movie here? Would you like to start? I mean, I think I've already said it. It basically comes down to, of her scenes did you like her scene in Eclipse more or her scene in New Moon more? Or mm-hmm. were you one of the people who liked her scene in Breaking Dawn more? And like, I think that's really what it comes down to. So like, I mean, my answer is New Moon. I I think New Moon is her best movie here. But like, mm-hmm. it really just comes down to comparing scenes, which I think is a bit of a shame.
3: Well, and like you said before, Twilight is her most movie but I don't think any of her scenes in that one particularly stand out. Right. Because her scene in Eclipse is just, it's not really there to yeah. serve anything except Bella is graduating high school. Exactly. And while I did appreciate the relatability of the moment in New Moon, I think I'd have to say Breaking Dawn.
1: Well, Breaking Dawn is also where she has like, and by this point, she's a experienced actress. So like, exactly. Uh, you know, she only has like two lines, but she totally kills it. Well, that, and that's all you need.
2: Yeah. Uh, I'd say for me, it's Eclipse. I'm really hurt. I love valedictorian speeches. Do
1: you <laughs> love
0: valedictorian I, speeches? I, I was,
2: also thought of the one with Emma Stone from Amazing Spider-Man 2 when I saw it. They're very similar in, like, what they're talking about. I agree. They're kind of written very cornily, but I am a sucker for that shit. So, like, I would say that's why. That's my favorite scene, and I love both valedictorian scenes. Even though I don't disagree with anything you said about them.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, I think I'm going to come across as a hypocrite here. Because, like, in general, when I'm watching movies, like, I really hate it when there's scenes that are... I really hate watching scenes that are, like, so obviously designed to be emotional manipulation. Like, there's there's a movie, I don't know if you guys have seen it, called About Time really it's like a romance movie where the main thing is the main character can he can he can go backwards in time if he wants i've heard of it i've never watched it in general i really like that movie but there's a scene near the end where like he goes back in time to spend one more day with his father because his father just died and he didn't realize it so he goes back in time to spend like one day the best day of his life with his father and the whole thing is it's like shot and written so cornily that like it's basically i just about turned off the movie despite having really liked it for a whole hour and a half so like in general i mean i know movies are emotional manipulation by design that's literally just what they are but when it's super obvious i typically don't like that in movies and i say that while also still having the opinion that the very end of Breaking Dawn Part 2, which is the most obvious emotional manipulation I've maybe ever seen in a movie, outside of, like... I mean, it's, it's a credit sequence, so it, like, doesn't count as being written in that way. But, um... I mean, I think that was really good for what it was. And, like, I have nothing bad to say about that credit sequence other than I don't think that it's an actually very artistically well-done credit sequence, but, like, it's perfect for, you know, the end of this huge event that this movie is definitely trying to be. I don't know exactly where I'm going with that, but, like, I guess... I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't like valedictorian speeches in movies, and I'm sorry to say that, Pierre.
3: I mean, I don't like valedictorian speeches in real life, either. My, My high school's valedictorian was boring, and I didn't walk at my college graduation. So... I, I, I guess I'll never know. May, maybe it was the one good valedictorian speech in history.
1: The uh, the year that I graduated university, we did have one really good student speech. And he was a valedictorian, but I don't think he was a valedictorian from our school. And like, when I say that, so the, the way that our university is structured, it's actually four different schools. Oh, so like, okay. I think he was like, a faculty of, he was like the School of Arts valedictorian, but we were the School of Sciences. Mm. So I don't know, remember, I don't know exactly why he was giving the speech at our thing too, but it was really good. He wasn't graduating with us. He was graduating earlier that day, but like, it was a good speech.
3: I mean, that's why I didn't go to my uh, college graduation. My, um, our guest speaker was like nobody important. Uh, the acting program got Keenan Michael Key and we got Joe Schmo. So,
1: <laughs> You got I, the I world bet, famous light guy.
3: Yeah. I, I didn't go to school for that though. Um, I oh. went to school for languages. So. Oh, right. So maybe, maybe if I had gone for lighting, I would have gotten, you know, some big Broadway star or something
1: so I guess uh we're we're not actually necessarily almost at the end if we really wanted to we could go for a while but like we're we're starting to go pretty long so I wanted to ask one more thing which was what I'm gonna say for me and Pierre so far but like Adele you can answer however you want where does this rank in in Anna Kendrick's filmography in terms of like Anna Kendrick roles or in terms of movie quality you can answer however you want
3: I mean, to be fair, you guys are being much more thorough. I don't even know. I I probably have seen five Anna Kendrick movies, but they're all ones that I have way more emotional attachment to. Mm -hmm. Like, I have nostalgic attachment to camp, even though when I rewatched it a couple months ago, it was not good. Anna Kendrick was the best part. I I feel like I remember uh, the first two Pitch Perfect movies really well. And Into the Woods and The Last Five Years, obviously. Mm -hmm. But those are probably the ones... That I feel like I remember the most, uh, because I, like I, those were you know big events that I was had been anticipating. Well, and I've seen Up in the Air too, I guess. Right. I mean, it would probably be somewhere around the middle. She's one of the better parts of the movie, and like I said, I thought it was fine. I definitely don't think it was bad enough to rank somewhere near the bottom. But I haven't seen everything, so there's definitely room. You know, for things I really hate to slide in underneath. Things I really love to slide in over top. So I'd say somewhere in the middle. Okay.
1: Pierre, I'm going to be a little more constrained with you from what <laughs> we've seen. Where do you think this ranks?
3: Mm,
2: I think I'll put Rocket Science on top. And then uh, Twilight second. And then... We've only done three, right? This is the third one? Yeah. Kicking well,
1: you. if you count all of Twilight as one, we've only done three. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And then... Uh... Whatever the first one was, I can't even remember. Camp. 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 Oh, Camp, yeah. She
1: was the best character
3: in camp. I was so sad to watch it again. And just it it was was so bad. It was so much worse than I remembered. (laughs) But she was the best part, you know, pulling her all about Eve at moment and Mm -hmm. getting to sing in company, even though by the end, by the time the girl's poisoned, it's the end of the show. So I don't know why that. I don't
1: know. Sorry, well, that was I mean, my... In, in camp, in the context of that, were they doing all of company, or were they just doing selections from company?
3: To be fair, they did not specify, but I they posted a full cast list, so I assumed that they were doing the full show. Oh, okay. And if they are doing the full show company, the ladies who lunch is, like, the last number before being alive. Mm-hmm. So it's maybe five minutes before the end. And right. it took that long for the poison to work. <laughs> but, hey... What you gonna do? She got to sing the big song.
1: I mean, she was the only part of that movie nominated for an award, so it clearly B- because worked. she
3: was the best part. She was. But I'm sorry, I went on my my tangent about camp.
1: Yeah, so I would say, of the movies we've watched so far, I would probably put Twilight on the top. Like if we're if we're keeping all of Twilight, like every, all five movies as one movie, I'd still put them on the top. But if we aren't. I would specifically put the very first Twilight movie at the top in terms of quality just of the movies we've been watching. In terms of Anna Kendrick performances, I'd probably put it at the bottom of what we've seen so far because we're literally only ranking three because, and really it just comes down to she had very little screen time. And even in in camp, she also had very little screen time, but she did way more with it. Because Mm -hmm. she had material which allowed her to do way more with it. If I'm ranking Anna Kendrick performances, I would probably put Rocket Science at the top. If I'm ranking movies, I would probably put the very first Twilight at the top. Personally. This ranking is going to get a lot more interesting once we have more movies.
3: Yeah. I was going to say, right now it seems like just there's not
1: enough, enough to really make it a real competition. I was gonna say, I think if we include rocket science and we exclude ev- and we take out every scene that Anna Kendrick isn't in from all of the movies, we almost have a full movie. <laughs> there, there you so, go. Yeah, we're still working on Twilight Saga roles. Jessica
3: Team Jessica Edition.
0: Yeah,
1: that would be maybe twenty minutes.
3: Yeah, I, but hey, submit it as you know as a short film. It'll play the festivals. Everybody will love it.
1: I mean, people, people go wild for Twilight short films. They exist all over YouTube.
3: Oh my God, yeah. Well, and that's, it, that, that's what I mean. They're just the, the fan community coming back, and especially now with the hindsight of them mostly being like 20-somethings mm-hmm. uh, who are internet poisoned, they all just like make memes and stupid short films about like dumb stuff in Twilight that, you know, only the real fans appreciate. So I'm sure hashtag Team Jessica uh, short film would take the Hards by storm
1: yeah so this so this is this has been our longest episode yet i don't know our next episode might be just as long in our next episode we're gonna do two movies uh, not five, but in these two movies, Anna Kendrick actually has a little more to do in both of them. Next time, we're going to watch Elsewhere, which I think may have been one of her first starring roles. And End of Watch, which I didn't realize she was in. I thought I'd watched it, but I actually have watched The Town, which is not End of Watch. So uh, we're going to watch those two movies I- next. I've never
3: heard of either of
1: those. I'll have to check them out. You definitely should. And um, thank you so much, Adele, for uh, being on this episode, being on our Twilight episode. Thank you for being our Twilight expert. No no problem. um, I, I don't know when we'll see you again, but I hope we can have you on for another episode at some point. Maybe near the end when we can all have interesting lists that include lots of movies.
3: All right. I'd be happy to come back.
4: When we were five, they asked us what we wanted to be when we grew up. Our answers were things like, astronaut, president, or in my case, a princess. When we were ten, they asked again. We answered, rock star, cowboy, or in my case, a gold medalist. But now that we've grown up, they want a serious answer. Well, how about this? Who the hell knows? (laughs) This isn't the time to make hard and fast decisions. This is the time to make mistakes. Take the wrong train and get stuck somewhere. Fall in love. A lot. (laughs) Major in philosophy, because there's no way to make a career out of that. Change your mind and change it again, because nothing's permanent. So make as many mistakes as you can. That way someday when they ask what we wanna be, we won't have to guess we'll know